Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This morning we are continuing, in fact we've almost completed... We'll complete next week our Summer of Psalms series here at CCM Gorton. Uh, the summer part is a little bit questionable, uh, but we are looking at the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible. Uh, and Psalms is like the Bible's hymn book. Okay, So if you ever went to like a Church of England church growing up or anything, you'll know what a hymn book is. It's like the song book that the church uses. And the Psalms were compiled as this group of poems and songs that the people of Israel would use as they worshipped God. They'd use them together. If you've ever uh, gone through the book of Psalms on your own, like I have, like I've been doing sort of in my daily devotions, reading a psalm a day, it's really good. But actually, you're missing out on a little something that they're designed actually to be used together as well. Um, and the, the word psalm comes from the, the, the sound that's made. It's a Hebrew word coming from the sound that's made when a stringed instrument is plucked. Okay, I, I won't touch Graham's guitar to, uh, to show you, but, but that's where, the, that's where the, the word comes from. Okay, They would use these stringed instruments to accompany them as they would sing and say the psalms. And uh, it's the way we still use these psalms, these songs today. Some of them even had a tune, and you see it just underneath the title or or, or the number of the psalm in the book. Some of them had tunes like the doe of the morning. Anyone know the tune of the doe of the morning? I don't know the tune of the doe of the morning. Or lilies, or the very ominous sounding death of the sun, which must be in a minor key if you're musical. Um, (laughs) But using these tunes, these already well-known tunes in Israel, to make the psalms, uh, the the point was to make these psalms accessible, maybe to people who couldn't read or write, but could pick up a tune. And so I like to wonder what tunes we would use if we were adding to the psalms today, like Psalm 151 to the tune of Don't Look Back in Anger, Psalm 152 to the tune of Never Gonna Give You Up. Um, But the Psalms, they're not just these catchy, accessible tunes used for worshipping God. They are packed full of real, raw emotion. John Calvin once said that in the Psalms you find every emotion a human being has ever had. 500 years on, that's still true. Anger, frustration, grief, jealousy, abandonment, joy, laughter, relief, hope. It's all in there in that book of Psalms. This means that some of the Psalms, like particularly a Psalm like Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend. Some of the Psalms are a tough read, but others are more uh, full of sort of joy and exuberance and more uplifting. This also means that the Psalms can give voice to pretty much every situation we could find ourselves in. It's a wonderful book. Today's Psalm, Psalm 103 is a psalm of praise, okay? And uh, we've sung two really praiseful songs to open our service, which I love. It's just, uh, it's all about remembering who God is and giving him the glory that he deserves. It's a song of gratitude for every season of our lives. Whether you are uh, enjoying success and maybe prosperity in your life right now, or whether actually you find that life is beating you down and, and you're struggling to face each day, There is always an endless list of reasons to praise our God. This psalm reminds us to praise him whatever the day looks like. But just before we read Psalm 103, I want you to do something for me. Just picture the most breathtaking piece of scenery that you've ever seen. 
I haven't given you very long. Maybe something comes to mind though. Maybe uh, the view from the top of a hill or a mountain, maybe somewhere in the Peak District, something where you can see for miles around. Uh, Maybe it's uh, the view of the ocean from the edge of a cliff or indeed the view of a cliff from the middle of the ocean or maybe it's a view of the Manchester skyline bathed in orange sunset. I don't know. But seven years ago uh, this week, Claire and I went on honeymoon to Thailand. And uh, here's a picture of a much younger, slightly sunburned, uh, the sunburn doesn't come through that much actually, but we were, uh, sunburned version of us at a lookout point in Thailand with the Phuket shoreline behind us. As you can tell, like, we're not really photographers and shouldn't have been trusted with a selfie stick. But um, in places like this, though, you have two groups of people. You have the tourists who who stop and their jaws drop as they look at this beautiful view and they can't take their eyes off it. And we were in that category. And then you have the locals, the people who live there, who are walking past, perhaps a little bit bemused by what these tourists are doing, just like, why are they so excited by this view? And they're walking past and getting on with their daily lives because this amazing view has become normal, everyday, mundane. And I wonder... Can we sometimes get this way with God? When we first became Christians, maybe we were like tourists, marvelling at his beauty and majesty, so in awe of all that we had now realised he'd done for us that we couldn't take our eyes off him or resist an opportunity to praise him. But as time goes on, we start to get used to the Christian life. We can so easily slip into acting like locals who no longer stop to marvel at the view as knowing God and following him becomes maybe even mundane. And ordinary. This psalm is a reminder to stop, to go back and admire the view once again, to remember the majesty of our God and give him the praise he deserves. Let me read Psalm 103. It'll be on the screen as well. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
There's so much. It's one of those psalms that we could, we could do a series and look at each line, couldn't we, and unpack each one. But today, I just want to dwell on two things today. The psalm is all about praise. I could have counted how many times the word praise is used, but I didn't. But you can if you want. Um, But it's a psalm all about praise. And I just want to dwell on how praise reminds us of what God has done. And praise reminds us of our weakness and God's strength. This psalm is all about praise, which means to express admiration or gratitude for something. But that doesn't quite cut it, I don't think, when it comes to God and the kind of praise that we want to give to God. Actually, this praise that he deserves is the praise only God could possibly deserve. It's about giving him the glory and honour for being the creator and sustainer and provider of all good things. At the turn of the 20th century, an evangelist named G. Campbell Morgan said that Psalm 103 is the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. Through centuries, he said, it's been sung by glad hearts and today it is as fresh and full of beauty as ever. King David, who's the author of this psalm and many, many other psalms, an incredible poet and and a king of Israel, had an endless list of reasons to praise God. And as Christians on the other side of history, we get to read this psalm knowing that God stepped down into this world in the form of Jesus, who lived a sinless life, went to the cross and became sin for us, taking the punishment for sin, our rebellion against God, taking the punishment on himself so that through faith in him we could have eternal life. Talk about reasons to praise When we read lines in this psalm like, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, which David was able to say, knowing God for himself, we also know that God's love for us was so great that he was willing to give his only son to die in our place. When we read, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, we know that although every single one of us deserves to die, for our, punish, uh, for our sinful disobedience against God, Jesus has taken our punishment upon himself and died for us. So instead of being punished for our sin, that is being treated as our sins deserve, we can be rewarded instead for Jesus' perfect righteousness. It's incredible. Reasons to praise. And when we, when we read, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, We know that even what we consider the most shameful of our sins have been buried in the grave where Jesus died and left there as he rose again. We have an endless eternal list of reasons to praise God. Praise the Lord, my soul. And the psalm begins, all my inmost being praise his holy name. This is David talking to himself. Does anyone else do that from time to time? Talk to themselves? I do it pretty regularly. We're probably evenly split between people who talk to themselves and people who think talking to yourself is weird. But I I do this. I I practice having important conversations. And if I'm going to be speaking like now or I'm a teacher, so if I'm going to be delivering a lesson, kind of practicing that beforehand by talking to myself. I do this all the time. I do it in the car. I do it uh, in a room on my own. I do it all the time. Um, But David isn't just talking to himself. He isn't practicing a speech in the mirror. He's speaking to the deepest part of himself, his very core, the deepest part of his being, his soul, and saying, wake up, come on soul, it is time to praise God. Do you ever have to be honest with yourself? Do you ever have to give yourself a little bit of a push to worship, a push to read your Bible, a push 
to spend some time in prayer, a bit of a push maybe to get along to church, particularly when the weather's like this, a bit of a push to go to the prayer meeting or to go to community group. I know I do. And I think what David is showing us here is it's quite normal to have to give ourselves a bit of a push to stir ourselves up. And in that sense, although it's not a perfect analogy because praise is so much more important, it's a little bit like doing exercise. We know it's really good for us. We know it should be part of our lifestyle. We know, and we're glad when we've done it. We just need to give ourselves a bit of a push sometimes to get going. Praise the Lord, my soul. Come on, soul. Verse 2 says, and forget not all his benefits. Praise and forget not. Those are the two things David said to his soul. Two commands. And following these two instructions leads to this continuous cycle. Because when we praise God we remember all that he's done, all that he's done in our lives. And when we remember all that God's done, well, we can't help but praise him. It goes round and round. God is the one who, and then David goes into this list of reasons to praise God. God is the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He's saying that God cares deeply about our spiritual health and our health health, like our physical and mental health as well. By our spiritual health, I mean the state of our souls, which without Jesus, without his blood, without his sacrifice, are lost and stained and unfit for a relationship with our holy God. But the Bible tells us that through Jesus, we are washed whiter than snow. We need only ask and God will forgive all our sins. That's our spiritual health. But at Christchurch Manchester, we love to pray for healing. We love to lay hands on people and pray that they get healed because we believe that God also cares about our health health, our physical and mental health. My wife Claire has recently been, as many of you know, through an extended period of really poor mental health. And that's an understatement. I can honestly say, though, that a turning point was about two and a half, three weeks ago. When Andy Armstrong came round and prayed for healing, he actually anointed Claire with oil as well, following this instruction in the book of James in the Bible that tells the elders of the church to go and pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. And then the same week, the Simmons girls came over and prayed. Deb Horner came over and prayed. Vic Armstrong came over and prayed. And it's, it's genuinely been a turning point. I can't tell you, Claire and I can't tell you that she's been completely healed of bipolar disorder. But I can tell you she's been well for nearly three weeks and counting. We were in a really dark place. And that week of intentional prayer was a turning point. Praise God. But something we've had to learn for years, seven years now, is that God doesn't always give us the healing that we ask for. Or in the way that we ask for. In the totality that we ask for. that The completeness. And we usually don't understand why. We cannot possibly understand the wisdom of God. We may never understand it, at least not until we are with him in eternity. And that can be really hard to swallow. But we know that we can ask him. We can pray to the God who heals our diseases. I learned a new word in that song, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals our diseases. Okay, we can ask him. We can pray to the God who heals and we know and long for the day at the end of each day when Jesus returns to make all things new and bring complete and total healing to our bodies and minds. Who redeems your life from the pit, the psalm goes on, and crowns you with love and compassion. You know, you'd be surprised how many people in the Bible end up at the bottom of actual pits. 
um, Joseph, as we recently read about in the book of Genesis, thrown into a pit by his brothers. The prophet Jeremiah was preaching a warning message to God's people, and he got thrown into a cistern, like a sewer, where all of the waste was, was thrown into a cistern to silence him, to stop him from preaching God's message in an effort that failed to do that, by the way. But God is in the business of redeeming lives. Both of those people got lifted out of their pits. David, a few chapters later and a long story later, became the second most powerful man in Egypt and redeemed many lives, including the lives of his brothers in the process. Jeremiah came out of the cistern, hopefully had a shower, and... (laughs) continue to preach the word of God faithfully and warn the people of Israel about God's anger at their sin. But David's speaking metaphorically here, isn't he? About how God lifts people up when they've reached what feels like their life's lowest point. Why? Why is it at the lowest point? Well, so often that's when we cry out to God. We're quite stubborn. I know I'm quite stubborn. And we can be pretty independent, pretty reluctant to ask for help, pretty quick to see solutions to our problems that don't involve God. And it's often not until we reach the lowest point where we realise we have no other options that we begin to cry out to the Lord for help. And he loves to answer. Perhaps you know what it feels like to feel at the bottom of a pit of depression, financial difficulty, loneliness, unemployment, family breakdown, grief, sickness, the list can go on. God loves to redeem us in our brokenness if we would only cry out to him. And what I love about this verse is it doesn't stop at the top of the pit. He pulls us out of our pit at our lowest point and we get to the top of the pit and God's like, no, we're not done yet. We're going higher. He crowns us with love and compassion. He brings us from our lowest, most desperate point and treats us like Who wears a crown? Royalty? Romans 8.17 is a verse about how we are children of God. God being the king of kings, by the way. And if you're children of the king of kings, that makes you part of the royal family. Romans 8.17 says, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As Christians, we share in the sufferings of Jesus, who endured immeasurable physical, mental and emotional agony for us. He knew what the pit was like. But we will also share in his glory if we will faithfully endure. God lifts us from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The psalm goes on. Well, the shelves of our supermarkets are stocked full of products which promise to renew our youth. From night creams and hand lotions to superfood smoothies and kale salads. But Jesus is the true living water who satisfies. He can restore a youthful vigour to our tired bodies and spirits. As I was preparing this, I thought, "What, what does that actually mean? Well, the reward of following Jesus of putting our faith in him is eternal life. And when you think of our lives as eternal, we're all pretty young, aren't we? Actually, he can renew us. He can refresh us when we're feeling tired and weary and beaten down. You know, we could look closely at every verse of this wonderful poem of thankfulness and praise. We could think more about how God has been at work in history, about how he worked through Moses and other people to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. We could talk about how God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. But if we looked at every verse, we'd be here till bedtime. The point is this. 
David lists God's many benefits, knowing that this will stir his soul up to praise and give him the push that he needs. Is this something that you practice? Do you ever list, maybe uh, out loud with somebody that you pray with or with somebody that you live with? Do you ever list? Or maybe in writing, maybe you're still using that prayer journal that Lizzie gave all of us a few weeks ago. All that God has done, do you ever list those things? Do you ever thank him item by item for all that he has done in your life, in history, in the world, in the lives of your friends and family? I find it really helpful to divide a page in half and just uh, write things I'm thankful to God for on one side and things I want to ask for on the other side. And uh, from things as ordinary as having a roof over my head to eternal truths like the hope I have that Jesus is going to return and make all things new, that thankfulness list always outweighs the requests. This stirs up my soul to praise him. What could this habit look like for you, I wonder? It energizes us. It refreshes us. It causes us. Praise reminds us of all that God has done. And we need this constant reminder. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Well, the other thing that praise does is it reminds us, and this psalm really speaks to this, it reminds us of our weakness and God's strength. David lists all of these amazing qualities of God. Then at verse 13, he starts to talk about God's fatherly love towards us. And I just want to dwell on this for another couple of minutes. Let me read verses 13 to 17 again. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. Well, God is the ultimate father, and as a father, he loves to help us when we ask him to. Uh, My daughter Rosie is nearly 18 months old, which is really, really crazy to think about. Many of you might remember when we joined CCM Gorton a year ago, she was tiny and now she's huge. Um, And although she's learning new things just all the time, every day, there are still so many things that she just can't do. She's she's not big enough. She's not old enough. She's not developed enough. And we've been teaching her, um, as she's been learning a few words here and there, we've also been teaching her a little bit of baby sign language. Claire's been leading the way on this. She loves, uh, loves that kind of thing. And it's really helped Rosie to communicate with us. And one of the signs that she learned quite recently is the sign for help, okay. which is this. Okay. And she'll usually say help when she's trying to open a door or trying to climb onto something she's too small for uh, or she's getting frustrated that she's hammering the buttons of the TV remote and it's not switching on because we've turned it off. (laughs) And she gets frustrated and she says, help. Okay, And there is something wonderfully joyful about being her father and being able to answer that call for help. I get to lift her up onto the piano stool so that she can hammer the life out of the thing. Or open a drawer so she can get all Claire's nail varnishes out and throw them on the floor. I get to answer her call for help. I get to do sort of more useful things than that as well. God loves to answer our call for help. He's our father. He loves us. And he does this because he knows how weak and fragile we are. He knows how much we need him, even when we forget that we need him. Even when we forget how fragile we are and we feel a little bit like super people who can accomplish anything... He knows how weak we are. He sees the reality. 
Psalm 103 describes our lives as being like grass which gets blown over by the wind. It's not a positive, is it? Like the park behind our house where we walk the dog gets uh, really overgrown at this time of year. It's part of the charm and the, the grass reaches like knee length and above. But as soon as you get strong winds, which we've had a lot of recently, the grass just goes flat. It's a powerful analogy, a powerful metaphor for what our lives are like. Fragile. We never know if we're going to get the next day. Even if we live to the ripe age of 100 compared to the eternal God of the universe, our lives are like a whisper. This is why it's so important, so urgent that we remember our weakness and his strength. Not just one of those things, but both. Our weakness and God's strength. He is our healer, redeemer, saviour, protector, provider. All of those Jehovah names that the song said. But when we forget God, we still live in the same world with the same set of problems and challenges. But we have to solve them a different way. So what do we do? Well, we try to increase our own strength and our own ability to solve our problems. I'm a fixer. I like fixing problems. And sometimes it's a good quality, but it becomes a problem when I forget God. I stop relying on him and I end up getting myself into sticky situations. Okay? I almost bought a car a couple of weeks ago purely out of stress and impulse and nearly ended up in a really like bad deal a really bad deal for a really expensive car that was too expensive and too big for us and would have cost too much to run and I did it because I was stressed Claire was really unwell our car made it very clear to us it wasn't going to last much longer on the M25 200 miles from home and I was like I need to solve this I need to fix this problem and I, I felt a bit like it's okay I can do this I can sort this I can sort this and nearly made a really ridiculous decision And that night, just before the deal was going to go through, I was awake the whole night, fully aware something was was wrong to the point where eventually I was so awake that I was like, I just need to pray. And I asked God to make it really clear to me if I needed to pull out of this car deal. The next morning, it was so clear that I needed to, called them up, cancelled. And I could almost hear God's voice saying to me, look, I I was here all along. You could have come to me sooner. I realized in the the hours and days following that he had our car situation under control the entire time. Of course he did, but I forgot it just for a moment, tried to fix it in my own strength, increasing the strength I had. Nearly made a massive mistake in the process. We're all prone to forgetting God, I think. It's part of the human condition. But God knows how weak we are how our lives are like grass in a field, how many problems we have that we simply can't fix however hard we try. And in his infinite wisdom, God knows that even when we have a tendency to forget it. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. King David, who wrote this psalm, was by all accounts a mighty king. The enemies of Israel feared him. When he went to battle, he usually won. His first time on the battlefield, he toppled a giant. It must have been so easy for him to focus on building up his own strength, his own military might, his own skills in battle, his own influence, his own authority and power. But even David, the author, even even he knew his weakness. He knew that his life was like the grass of the field, the wind blows and it's gone. He knew that he needed to depend on God to strengthen him or he was nothing. He knew of the danger of forgetting God when you have a battle ahead. As I read Psalm 103, this beautiful and joyful psalm of praise, I can't help but wonder when in his life David wrote it. We're not told. Sometimes the psalms tell you, this one doesn't. 
Was it when he was watching over his father's sheep in the early days, gazing at the stars in the night sky, amazed at God's creation? Was it when he was selected over his much more suitable brothers to be the future king of Israel? Was it when he just toppled Goliath? Was it after a great victory over his enemies? Or was it when he was hiding in a cave on the run from his murderous predecessor, Saul? Was it when he was grieving the loss of his closest friend, Jonathan, Saul's son? Was it when he'd just lost one of his sons? Was it when he'd repented of the heinous sins that he committed against Uriah the Hittite and his wife Bathsheba, who David took forcefully as his own wife? Was it in his last days as king as he reflected on all of those things that had happened in his life? Well, I don't know, but Charles Spurgeon, who's very clever, thought that we should attribute it to his later years when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon because a keener sense of sin than in his younger days. His clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his praiseful gratitude. Well, he captures, I think, the the tone of the psalm beautifully in that quote. And maybe it was later in David's life that he wrote this, but we'll never actually know. And you know what? I love that. In my opinion, that's the beauty of this psalm. This is praise for every season. This is a constant reminder that we must stir our souls to give God the praise he deserves and never, never forget all that he has done, whatever is going on. It would work at any of those points in David's life. It would work at any point in our lives. Let me just take you back as I finish to the scenery analogy that I mentioned earlier. Do you think that maybe you've gotten so used to knowing God that you're no longer as amazed and enthralled by him as you once were? According to Psalm 103, the remedy is remembrance. It's remembering him, building a habit of praise and thankfulness, thanking him every day for all that God has done. Remembering what he has done leads us to praise and praise leads us to remember all that he's done. The week before last, we spent a week in Shropshire, which is a beautiful part of the country with Claire's parents where they live. And something I really love about my father-in-law is that he loves beautiful scenery. And every time we go down to Shropshire, even though they've lived there six years now, he points out the same views and describes how beautiful they are and pauses to look at them every single time. And you know what? There's something about capturing that beauty again and again that was really applicable to this. He loves to tell me about the hills and the valleys and the castles and the abbeys and how this scenery inspired J.R.R. Tolkien to write The Lord of the Rings. He's never in six years taken those views for granted, even though he's used to them. Years on from when I first gave my life to Jesus, I don't want to take him for granted. I want to have the same awe and wonder that I had at the start and more. What about you? I love Psalm 103 because it reminds us that whatever the day, whatever the season, whatever our circumstances, we have endless reasons to praise God. It's okay, indeed it's human, to need to give ourselves a little push once in a while, but it is always worth it. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not his benefits. Um, It feels the natural end to this psalm for us to actually continue in praise and thanking God for all that he's done. So What I'd love for us to do is, in a moment, I'd love for us to call out some of God's benefits, to thank him for all that he is, for all that he's done in our lives, for all that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, for all that that means for us. One at a time, let's just call out short prayers of thankfulness, gratitude and praise as loudly as we can.
The last few lines of the psalm say, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. 